0: Hey there, I'm Heather Mulder, a former Amlaw 100 partner who, just five years into my legal career, found myself questioning, why work so hard to barely be squeezing life in? So that I wouldn't become yet another attorney burnout statistic, I decided to redefine success on my terms from the inside out, which is what enabled me to build a profitable legal practice while navigating my way through the challenges of two kids and two bed rests, the 2008 financial crisis, and a battle with breast cancer. What I learned is that you can build a successful legal career without sacrificing your health or personal happiness. And I'm on a mission to help you do exactly that. Join me each week for practical, unfiltered advice on how to successfully navigate the challenging legal market and succeed in both law and life. This is the Life in Law Podcast. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Life in Law Podcast. This is your host, Heather Mulder. And today we have a guest that I'm really excited to introduce you to. Uh, We have Susie Hickson. She is a practicing trademark attorney, founder of Hickson Law, PLLC, She's a business consultant. She's a certified life coach. Might have to get into some of that today, Susie. And she is founder and CEO of Legally List. Welcome, Susie.
1: Hey, welcome, Heather. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So before we get too into the topic of the day, why don't you let people know a little bit more about you, um, you know, who you are, what you do, maybe even how you got to where you are now.
1: Oh, Wow. <laughs> Well, I was born in Colorado. <laughs> as a wee, as a wee girl, I love to ski. Um, I guess you probably want me to get more into the kind of the what's the legal side. Of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I this is it kind of is somewhat pertinent, but I was a biology major in college who uh, was getting ready to graduate, who didn't really know what to do next. So. I did what any biology major would do, and and went to law school. Right, makes complete <laughs> sense. <laughs> it was definitely a different way of thinking. Um, I went to law school for probably not the right reason. I uh, didn't know what else to do. Right, so I was like, okay, well, can we extend this college thing out for just a few more years? Because <laughs> I'm really, I'm really digging it. I'm really digging. I was really great at college, and I loved it. Um, law school was a different matter. It was it was very it, it was very challenging for me. It was like I said, it was a very different way of thinking. When I was in law school, I didn't have a really a trajectory. I know a lot of people are you know they're like, I know I want to do criminal law or mm-hmm. <laughs> you know tax law really lights me up, <laughs> you know. And I was not one. Of, again, I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And I was talking to another law student one day. I'll never forget this. And they're like, you should look into in, into going into patent law. And I was like, patent law. Like, let's talk about like what is this? I'm like, well, with your science background, you can take the patent bar. So I was like, okay, this this could be something a lot more aligned with my science background, something that I really love because I am a science, kind of a scientist at heart. Um, so, strangely enough, I took and passed the patent bar before I took and passed the state bar, and got hired. Pretty. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's interesting. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah.
1: And got hired fairly quickly as um, as a patent lawyer. And so that's what I did for the first, about a year and a half to two years after having graduated from law school. I was working with a lot of engineers. I was working on light fixture designs. And this is hilarious. You're going to laugh about this because you, you can kind of laugh because you're from Texas and, and maybe Kentucky. <laughs> but one thing I worked on, uh, were cigarette filters, (laughs) right? Like, and different types of ways to, um, roll cigarettes. And, you know, it just, the, the, the patent side wasn't my jam. Okay. It just for, for a lot of different reasons. So I was like, okay, what is another intellectual property area that might interest me. And one thing I like to say is, you know, it's okay to get a law school and try a few practice areas until you find Mm -hmm. like the golden nugget, right? I really think it is. And it might not, you might not ever find it. It, That happens all the time. But I think it's, you know, I think a lot of people get out of law school and they do get pretty quickly pigeonholed into a practice area, but don't be afraid Mm -hmm. to push for an alternative, right? That Mm -hmm. not if you're not really enjoying it. So I did push for an alternative. I was like, "Wait, now this trademark stuff looks kind of cool." You mean I get to look at logos and words all day? Like this <laughs> might be interesting and branding and and working with people who are in marketing and advertising. It's like, yeah, this this looks cool. So I fairly quickly evolved into the trademark work from the patent work. Very different, but still kind of under that branch of you know intellectual property and you know that's the area of law that i have practiced fairly hardcore since 2005 and it's been i, I want to say quite a match like i've been kind of interested in other areas but m- mostly just because those they intrigue me for other reasons but um trademark law is one of those areas of law that that's a lot of i think it's a lot of fun um you you can kind of mold your practice how you want it it's mm-hmm. Like I do primarily uh, trademark clearance and prosecution, and I did do a little bit of enforcement for a while, but at this point, I've sent anything that's super adversarial off because, you know, despite being an attorney, I don't love the adversarial nature of it. Like I'm not a conflict. I I want everyone to get along. Uh Uh (laughs) So, like, should I go into mediation at some point? Um, I like it when everyone can kind of come to an agreement like in a coexistence agreement, right? I'm like, mm-hmm. yes. you know, um, I hate it when we get to a situation where everyone's angry, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, that's what I've done for for quite a long time is, is trademark work and it's, it's been
0: a fit. So how did you evolve into starting your own firm?
1: Oh, okay. So in 2008, I feel like we all, or a lot of us have like, <laughs> The two thousand eight story, right? oh yeah, I know we have, mm, have, know, no we have yeah, right. We all have that great recession story. Well, mine was a wake up call, so when i the firm that I was at at that point, I really enjoyed, I was really um kind of how would I say it, like in my flow there for the most part, you know, I, everyone has challenges, things happen with <laughs> with their practicing, but for the most part, I fit there culturally. But 2008 happened and I saw a lot of what I thought were really great lawyers being being kind of handed their walking papers, right? And that really freaked me out, to be honest. I I was like, oh my gosh, like there's really no loyalty. You know, Mm. I feel like I kind of grew up in in an era where, you know, I, I was in a child of the 80s and, you know, people would go work at corporations and they would stay there and they would move up. And, you know, there was kind of that reciprocity in terms of loyalty with employer and employee, Mm -hmm. or so I thought, and then I saw that happening and I was like, wow, I cannot believe some amazing attorney, amazing attorneys are being let go like this. Like, this is scary. And at the end of the day, we are really the only ones who are in control of our own destiny. I also remember looking out the window one day. I think I was on like the thirty fifth floor of the, of the building. And it was like five o'clock, and I saw all of these people leaving the op- their offices in the building I was in. And I was like, "Gosh, like I do not want to be like a nine to fiver my mm-hmm. entire life. Am I going to be able to cut this as a law firm partner?" And I was kind of becoming a senior associate at that, or not a mid level associate, right? Like I was pretty close. It's probably a couple of years away from being considered for partnership. And and that really started weighing on me, right? Do I really want to be a partner? You know, there's not a lot of loyalty here. I'm seeing partners like, like, you know, it was bizarre. It was, there were a lot of bizarre things going on. So while I was fortunate enough to keep my position at that point, it did, it was a time period where I think it initiated a lot of self-reflection. And I think that that's pretty common, when major events happen, yes, <laughs> right? Like 9-11, I think caused a lot of people to kind of think like, what's going on? You know, the recession, the Great Recession, people, I think re- did a lot of self-reflecting. Of course, COVID, people did a lot of reflecting about, well, do I like where I am at this point in my career? Is this a fit for me? So 2008 was really that time when I look back and, you know, realize I was seriously, it wasn't that i was unhappy not happy with my career it was this i wasn't completely fulfilled mm, yeah. i always i was always intrigued with entrepreneurship like i remember just loving the magazine entrepreneur my parents had a a subscription to that and they've been small business owners for as long as i've known them and one day I was like, I think it was in probably 2009 or 2010. I was like, you know what? I I can do this on my own. I want to start my own law practice.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And, and of course, at that point, people were like, okay, you're crazy. And I'm like, oh, I can do this all online. Like, I don't need, you know, I can do this from anywhere and all online. And of course, you know, I got a lot of, um, how would I say it? Just it wasn't so much me second guessing myself, it was other people questioning me that started. Forcing me that, well, maybe I am crazy <laughs> to go out on my own, right? But I, in some ways, I just, I knew that my future was malleable, right? If I wanted yeah. to go back into a big law firm one day, like, oh, I could probably do it. But like, let's try the solo thing for a while. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, and it wasn't easy. It was definitely a struggle. I struggled financially. You know, I went from six figures to
0: <laughs> no
1: figures, <laughs> for, you know, for a while and it was, it was fine, but I look back and it, it, you know, I'm very optimistic about and, and very bullish on starting your own practice, but I'm coming from the mindset of someone who was not taking care of a family, mm. right? Like I had such a, a cushion in a lot of ways right? and I wasn't keeping other humans alive. So I had that ability to take that risk and I did it. And I'm really glad that I did.
0: So there's a couple of things you highlighted in there that I think are really important for people to like really think about. Yeah. Number one, and and throughout your whole conversation so far, number one, where you start as a lawyer doesn't have to be where you end up Yeah. within Mm -hmm. your practice, what you're doing, where you're doing it, et cetera. It just doesn't. And I think we all get stuck in this, but this is where I've been. I can't do anything else, which is just not true. I mean, come on, people. You are highly intelligent. You are able to get through law school, pass the bar. You can do practically anything. You can relearn. And and you can learn very quickly. Like, you can switch practices, right? Oh, yeah. Number two, this idea that when you become a partner, you're safe. That is something that I think a lot of associates and even young partners think until they see otherwise. It is not true. I hate to break it to you, but it's not true. And different firms do it differently. So like the firm I was at, they didn't just cut partners immediately, but they'd stop paying them, basically. They wouldn't hardly pay them at all until they finally would leave. And if after a couple of years of hardly ever paying them, they still hadn't gotten the message, they would come have a conversation and said, look, you got six to eight months. You need to leave. This isn't the right fit. So, like, just because you make partner does not mean you're safe there forever. I hate to break it to you.
1: Not job security (laughs) at all.
0: No, job security is you having a robust practice, period. Like, that's job security. Regardless of whether you're in a big firm, mid-sized firm, tiny firm, or on your own, you need a practice. That's the only job security you have. And it's fine if you decide you want to be a service partner, but understand you're at more risk than, yeah. than people who aren't. Okay. And you're the first to go, even if you're a partner. So there's that. You then the, third, the third <laughs> thing I'd say, and, and I understand what you say, but you didn't have a family. It does make it easier when it's just you, right. Or when you're right. not supporting people, but I did leave law and started a completely new non-legal yeah. business that had yeah. nothing to do with law with two kids. Was it hard? Oh yes. <laughs> Yeah, is it yeah. still sometimes hard? Yes, because my income isn't the same as it was. Like I had a regular paycheck and then like it was just, it was easier then than it is now. My income is way up down. Like, cause I have I seasons it. to when people hire me, I've noticed like there's the beginning towards, you know, the. Sec, early second quarter, I get a lot more clients. Then it slows way down in the summer. Lawyers don't hire people as much in the summer, I've noticed, because they're all off doing vacation or, or whatever. Family stuff. And then there's more that comes in the fall. So I've had to figure out how to plan around that. Right. And when I left, and I think I, I've done a whole podcast on this, and I can't remember which one it was, but I will go back and find it and I will link to it in the show notes so you can go back. But there was a plan. I had, I mean, I knew I wanted to leave for two years before I actually did. It's not that you can't do it, but you do have to make sure that you you financially thought through, yes. what it means because when you just walk out that door and start your own business, whether it's legal, you know, you're you're putting your own shingle out there or something completely different, you're starting from nothing. Yeah. And can you build it? Yes, absolutely. And people like Susie and I can probably help you do it more quickly because we've learned <laughs> what to do and what not to do. Not There's to do. Plenty <laughs> of people out there who can help you with that. So invest in that and have a plan and be strategic, but definitely have your finances in order. Don't think, oh, I'll just immediately make money because that it doesn't work that way.
1: Yes. And the other thing I'd say that's sort of along those lines, Heather, is don't make the decision to leave the firm when you are in a negative emotional state. Yeah. Right. Like, because it's not always green pastures on the other side. It's not rainbows and, you, you know, unicorns. Um, nope. Make that decision from when you're in a, in a healthy emotional state, just like any decision you
0: make. I mean, I would say this. Look, if you hate growing your practice within a firm, I guarantee it's going to be even harder for you, at least initially on your own, because you have zero support, right? Which is why I think the right coaches and consultants can be very helpful. But you know, if that's your problem, and I do, because I talk to a fair number of people, if I'm just not good at business development, or they want more than I can give, or it's the wrong fit. And I'm like, no, you can make it work anywhere. You got to like start, start kind of seeing your own practice as your own business even if you're in a firm and that's kind of key you want to start with that entrepreneurial mindset but if you can't do it there what makes you think you're going to do it on your own without any support whatsoever so you know, right. I think there's a lot of people that just get so down on their firms mm-hmm. and the pressure they're feeling and they think jumping ship is the best thing. And it's not always the best thing or mm-hmm. the right thing in that moment. And so you want to step back and, yeah, take away some of that emotion and try to figure out, OK, what really makes sense here? And mm-hmm. also know that, you don't. Know, I think people think that if they decide they want a bigger change, they have to make that that one big change immediately, you do not have to take one big leap. Like it took me two years. I knew I was leaving, but I did it in a very strategic, slow, you know, effort, very proactively, very careful. You can do it that way. Like there's no one way to do it. So yeah. Yeah. I
1: think it's, I've seen maybe these cards on Instagram or Twitter where it's like, you think like your practice in your life is going to be like this linear line, right? To reach some destination, but it's all, it's like this squiggly line really, right? right? Like your ups and downs and you might go back a little bit before you can even move forward. So, um, I just want people to know, like, they're not alone. If you are struggling with where you are in your current law practice, right? Like if you're super not comfortable, or if you think maybe you're not a fit culturally with the firm, or maybe you don't love your practice area it is not unusual to for, for people to explore other areas. No,
0: no. And it, it's not, you. it's more common. This happens a lot more. You and I now know this because we've been on the other side and we yeah, talked yeah. to a lot of people. Yeah. You think you're, something's wrong with you and you can't say anything. And <laughs> I mean, I've said this before, when I announced I was leaving and I was starting a completely unrelated business, like not practicing law anymore, the number of partners who told me, it, I wish I were you. Now, not that they wanted to start a coaching practice, but they wanted to leave law behind and do something completely different was crazy high. I was shocked by that. Yeah. Yeah. You would be surprised some very successful people who are sadly still practicing. <laughs> <laughs> some of them are not, I will say. Yeah. some are. So, okay. So you started your own firm and you at some point, got a life coaching certification. Do you, you know, what made you want to do coaching and do you actually Uh, coach now? Okay. That's,
1: that's a really um, fun question. I went through Brooke Castillo's life coaching um, certification in 2020. Work was slow. I, in 2020, I decided, I felt like I wanted to be a little more leisurely. (laughs) Mm. I was like, you know what? I was like, let me just take a period of calm, right? Because I was kind of, Working on growing my practice. And I got to this point, I guess the end of 2019, I was trying to figure out do I really want to grow Hickson Law? Like, is this what I want to do? Because I've been boutique and small for years. Um, And then 2020 happened. I was like, hold up, like, maybe I don't want a big law firm, right? Mm. Like, maybe this is cool. Like, maybe just chugging along, making this money is fine. And I don't, need to make more money. Uh Uh, So I was doing some live coaching and I decided I would go through the live coaching certification program, which was very interesting and a lot of fun because as you know, coaching, (laughs) you are taught to look at your own thoughts, right? It helps you become more self-aware of your own thinking, particularly your Inhibiting beliefs, like those really deeply ingrained beliefs that we have that right. sort of inhibit us from proceeding forward. I kind of struggled when I was going through the certification program because I've always been a fixer. Uh-huh. I've always come to the conversation with the, with like, let's find the answer, right? Like, there is a solution. With coaching, I literally had to like meditate before. <laughs> I would sit down in a session and get into a very different mind frame, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and we talk about you know kind of holding the space for a coaching client, yep, and coming into that conversation not where I have the answers for you as a coach, but helping my client find that that answer from within. Yep. So because at the end of the day, our coaching clients do have the answer. I am fully convinced of that. Right. But it was a challenge for me. It it was very different coming in from more of a kind of an analytical uh, thinking. So I went through the the certification program in 2020. I think I barely passed it because it is it is legit, right? Like it's a. I actually had you know a um, coach, a trainer, and she was fantastic. But I was like, oh my gosh, like this is just a very challenging hat for me to wear as a lawyer. But it was Uh good because. What I liked about it is it it did challenge me in different ways, right? And I think that if we can kind of approach a lot of what we do as puzzles and gaming, right, just something fun, then you know there's that mindset piece, right? It can almost make it a little bit easier. So I looked at it as a challenge. It was a challenge for me. I have coached a few clients. I'm not currently coaching right now because I'm building my um, community, Legally Blissed, and it's really a community... It's on the Circle platform for female lawyers who really, who I want to help become more self-advocates because one of the biggest things I've seen over the years, Heather, is that female lawyers in particular really struggle with self-advocacy. advocate mm-hmm. We're helping everyone else become successful, including our clients, um, including our children. I'm seeing where we're putting ourselves on the back burner. So that is my coaching kind of evolved into this community that, that I'm forming.
0: I've had a guest probably a couple of months back. Um, by the time this airs, it will definitely be a couple months back, but Amy Conway Hatcher, and she got into this a bit too, about how lawyer, how women, especially attorneys yeah. are great at advocating for their clients, but not so great at advocating for themselves. And, mm-hmm how badly that holds us back. Yeah. And I just wanted to reiterate something you said before we move on because I definitely have a question around that. But you, you know, I often get questions from lawyers of what exactly is coaching? Like how does that work? And I think a lot of lawyers incorrectly believe coaching is to fix people. Oh, no. No. Coaching is to help you kind of fulfill your fullest potential. That's not the same thing. It's to help bring out the best of you and help yeah. you go more boldly forward and be more courageous and stop worrying so much about what others will think, which we lawyers really care way yes. too much about. <laughs> um, and and I, I'm convinced that we're kind of pre-wired that way. And it's what pot, partly convinces us to go into law. And then it, it's made worse by our lawyer-trained lawyer trained Brains, you know, they just—it's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we don't fix you. We meet you where you are. We hold space for you to kind of help get out all the crud that's in your mind already. That's so hard to get out because we're so crazy busy. You're multitasking a million things, and you can't think straight. And so yeah. there's this space there, and we're trained to help, kind of like hear things that you might not notice and pull them out and ask questions about it, which then creates these like big bursts of, oh, (laughs) aha, that's what's really going on. that's why I, you know, I'm doing this or thinking this way or, and totally changes how you think, which then totally changes how you make choices and what you do. So I just wanted to highlight that because I think lawyers have this weird perception of what coaching is.
1: Here's the deal. Therapy is wonderful. Going to your psychologist or psychiatrist, by all means, go to them. But that's not what a coach is, right? Like we're we're really there to up level uh-huh. where where you are to kind of help you help you soar. And and part of the problem is that you know most of the thoughts that are just running through our brains, you know, a million miles an hour. Like we don't really even realize that they're uh-huh. there. We don't realize the negative self talk. We don't realize that a lot of the thoughts going through our heads and again i've seen it a lot with with female lawyers it's um really just self limiting thoughts that are not fact and that's the thing about coaching or having a coach like we we really try to help our clients kind of parse the fact from the story and most of the stuff going through our brains they're just stories they're just stories that we've made up or they're stories that we've absorbed from other people very very little of what we experience on a day-to-day basis is is a fact so that works in our favor because we can create whatever story we want to create mm-hmm. at the end of the day who mm-hmm. says it's wrong right like okay the thought I, I suck as an associate I mean I'm, I'm sure I've said that a lot right like I'm sure <laughs> I, I, I'm sure I said I'm like the worst associate You know, if I would have had coaching as a young associate, I might would have, you know, had a coach that says, Well, wait, you know, like why are you choosing that thought that I suck as an associate? And I would say, Well, because of X, Y, you know, all of these reasons, you know, because this partner yelled at me, you know, all of these things, right? But maybe that coach would kind of point out some of my successes, right? And show me that the thought I suck as an associate, it's not fact. It's just a story. Like I could just as easily say, I'm a badass associate. Like I'm kidding. Uh-huh. And which one's the truth and which one's not? Like thoughts aren't thoughts aren't good or bad, right? Like it's just it's just the story that you you create. So you might as well pivot your thinking to serve you better. And you mentioned a minute ago about how like that thinking shows up in your actions, like or the decisions that you make, right? So if we can come from a a, a place of I'm a badass associate, (laughs) might take a little while to get there, right? We can evolve our our thinking. I know a lot of people are probably like, what? You know, if you can kind of evolve that thinking into, I'm a kick-ass associate, I'm doing a great job. Like maybe your decisions will reflect that, right? Those Uh of someone who's really a badass associate. So a lot of people are like, well, that's such an ethereal way of approaching it. But it's like, I'm not here to convince people that it it's true or false right it's how do you want to how do you want to show up and make your decisions as the associate that like goes into those meetings thinking god i suck here right or i put on like my most amazing suit today and i'm going to show up in this meeting powerfully because i'm a badass associate
0: well yeah i mean and i think I do think sometimes we lawyers tend to like roll our eyes when we hear this stuff, right? (laughs) But think of it this way. Think about the ripple effect of what that line of thinking, the differentiation. So when you show up to the meeting thinking, I'm horrible, I totally suck, you're not going to speak up, you may have ideas that need to be stated that nobody is stating, you'll have all these thoughts and opinions, but you just don't show up. And that means you are depriving others of your valuable opinions and potentially you know, hurting clients by not doing that. The other thing is, is you are giving out this vibe of who you are, the person who never speaks up and doesn't advocate for themselves. So do you really want to be showing up as that person? Or would you rather go in there with the, look, I have something valuable to add. I'm worthy kind of thoughts where you do then speak up. And maybe they say, uh, I don't know if that's fully valid, but then you get to argue your you know, why you think it is. And then they're like, okay, I, I kind of get what you're saying. And even if they don't believe you or like take your ideas at all, they have a different opinion of that person has something to say. They're not afraid to speak out and they're willing to speak their mind. If As long as you're doing this in a respectful way, which one would you rather be? I would rather be the latter person, even if they didn't take my advice. Like, And and I will say I was that person. So I was person A early, early, early in my career and started to realize that people perceive me as something I'm really not. Mm
1: -hmm. But it's
0: because of how I'm showing up. I'm going in with the assumption that they'll give me work as they see fit for me, you know, whatever they see fit for me. They'll, Mm -hmm. you know, they'll ask me my opinions more specifically once they think I'm at the right level. So I hardly ever proactively asked for work, proactively spoke up. But I wasn't getting the same stuff as another associate who, by the way, was not as good of a technical lawyer and was known for that, was not known to be as good of a technical lawyer, yet he got more opportunities than I did. Oh. And I realized, holy crap, it's because how I'm showing up. So yeah. I had to work really hard and change that. And guess what? It What I got started changing and the trajectory of my career started changing. And just like two years later, as I was leaving that firm, going to another firm, they were begging me to stay, saying, you will make partner next year. You they would not have begged that initial Heather, right? Initial Heather. Who was very, barely showing up and just kind of meek and mild. They wouldn't have been. So it makes a huge difference on the trajectory of your career, on you know what you can add to your clients. I mean, you are there to serve them. And then you know, how people perceive you. So I think that's a really important point to make.
1: Yeah. And and kind of along those lines, something that you you mentioned, I think is really important as well, Heather, is you don't have to necessarily go from God, I suck as an associate to I'm like the most badass associate ever, right? Maybe the thought is I'm worthy, right? Mm-hmm. I deserve to like I'm worthy to be here. I can, I can do this. It doesn't have to be these lofty. Lofty thoughts, right? Like you can you can evolve to that if it's if it serves you, if the results that you're getting, um you know, it, it depends on the results that you want. But you can just simply say, "I'm worthy," and
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think that that can be enough when you go into those meetings, right? I'm oh, yeah. worthy.
0: Oh yeah, and just also note, there's this world of so-called self affirmations out there that are a load of crap in my mind um, that. They try to teach you to just say over and over again that lot the, like the one like final place you want to get to. But if you're starting at I suck and you say, <laughs> I'm badass, your yes. mind is going to go, uh uh-uh, no, here's no. all the reasons why you're not and why you really suck. Like yeah. your mind is. But if you stair step it slowly, kind of right. thought, it's called a thought ladder. Yeah. and You just take that next step. You know what? I have something I can add. Maybe yeah. that's the first step. Yeah. And then yeah. you believe that enough where you can go to the next and then the next and the next. That's actually the appropriate way to use those yeah. types of things. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to, you know. Let's go back that out. back here a little bit. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So, so, okay. So obviously inner chatter holds a lot of us back. Oh gosh, what yeah. else do you see holding a lot of, specifically women, some men too, but especially women attorneys back, um, within their careers, and especially I, I want to hear the things that people may not think that's holding them back, right that that they might think they're doing something in a way that's helping them, but in fact, it is not it is doing the exact opposite.
1: not asking for what they want, I think is a huge huge thing that holds female lawyers back um mm-hmm. along those lines. I think we tolerate more than we need to. I think that that is a question that we should ask ourselves regularly, right? Even even lawyers who seem to have it all together, or professionals, right? But I think that we need to ask ourselves every now and then, what am I tolerating unnecessarily? Mm. Because one one thing that that will do is it will help you figure out where you might need to set boundaries in your life, and. I wish as a young associate I knew about boundaries mm. and knew how to appropriately set them and just as importantly as that to actually follow through with consequences, right? Like actually enforce them. Um, because I see a lot of how would you say like subtle violations of space um by other lawyers, particularly around female lawyers, and that could be what people are saying, or even physical boundaries. And if I would have sort of known what I was comfortable with as an associate in terms of boundaries, I think that that would have, it would have helped me show up as a stronger lawyer, right? I think it would Uh have garnered more respect from others. Uh And I was the first person in my family to go to graduate school and to kind of have a career like this, right so I didn't have really anyone to talk to when there was bad behavior going on in when, when I was a young associate by male partners and that really messed with me as a young associate mm. and I would love for younger women you know women coming um out of law school starting to, you know, practice law, like, of course, we we would love to not see bad behavior. But unfortunately, we cannot control other people. Mm-hmm. But what we can do is we can set boundaries. And when people make the decision to violate a boundary, we can follow through with them. Setting a boundary is a really good way of putting kind of that onus of choice on another person. Mm-hmm. And whether or not they decide to violate the boundary, right? So then you can can follow through with consequences. Um, you know, as a young associate, I had lawyers slam books on my desks, yell at me, say very inappropriate things, (laughs) which is not unusual. Um, as I've talked to so many women who, um, you know, who are in this field and it's interesting because it's not just law, right. It's, it's it's not just a legal practice. So like, I don't, I don't want to, you know, exclude other people because it, it happens all the time. But I think that the, what we're learning here, Heather, is that it is gonna be very hard to change other people's behavior. We can do all the things We can start hashtag me too, right? We can do all of these things and try to kind of shine a light on it, right? Shining a light mm-hmm. on the problem is supposed to act like an antiseptic. and And I think we're seeing that if that's not really the case. So really, at the end of the day, we have to be confident in our in ourselves and set boundaries about and a boundary really is you know, it's a, kind of analogous to a real property boundary, right? That we learn in real property where this is where I be, this is where um, I end and this is what I won't tolerate. And, you know, this is where, this is what I, what I will not tolerate going forward. And oftentimes it's, it, it's simple things. Like maybe someone is yelling at you. You can simple, simply set the boundary. You know, if you continue to yell at me, I'm going to report this to HR. A lot of people are like, yeah, right. Like I would say that to a partner. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think that it's one way to really garner a lot more respect from other lawyers.
0: Well, and I would even say you could say it differently. The first time. Look, I don't tolerate yelling and I don't, re- I don't respond to yelling. So if you could, you know, the next time you find that I have not done a really great job, I would appreciate it if you would just come in here and say, look, we need to talk and have a seat and let's talk it out because I guarantee I will respond much better to it. Like there are ways that you can do it, but that is, I want to be clear about what a boundary is. A boundary is not saying no. People think saying no is a boundary. It is an enforcement mechanism for boundaries. One of them, not all of it. Like it's not an ultimate boundary is the rule, the principle that you want other people to respect and live by in order in how they treat you, basically, so that you feel respected and so that you you know you're not violated in some way. And also, boundaries can also be rules that you set that. Are there to help you ensure that you actually get your priorities taken care of. Right. So it doesn't yeah. necessarily have to be other people's inappropriate behavior, but for me, yes. boundaries early on, because I was I've been very lucky to work with people who are pretty respectful and just really good people. Right. That being right. said. People take advantage of you if you're willing to put yourself out there over and over and over again. They just assume you're available because, hey, Heather's always available. And so one of the things I struggled with early on in my career was saying yes to everything. And then everybody just assumed Heather will do it. And so things were thrown at me. Like, I got to the point where I was was totally burned out because of it. And then I had to step back and go, crap, I need boundaries. (laughs) Like, I need to (laughs) learn to say... I have too much on my plate and have rules in place for what is too much. How much am I willing? Like, I had to think about that and then start telling people that. And that was hard. So it can be as simple as that, too. Like, there's lots of areas we need boundaries.
1: I think you make a really good point that boundaries aren't for other people, but like they're really for your own mental health in in a lot of ways. And, you know, it kind of another example of boundaries for kind of for yourself is, you know, Personal time boundaries, uh-huh. right? Like, I don't work on the weekend or after 5 p.m., like, whatever it is. When I'm with my children, I don't answer work phone calls. You can also um, have an email autoresponder that, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and now I know that this doesn't necessarily work in all law firms, but if you are a small, Firm owner, you can you can make your own decisions, right? You can decide if you want to do this. But you know, I have an auto responder that says, you know, your email is really important to me, but I'm not tied to my email, and I do check it at a certain time, and so that's sort of like that email boundary. Uh Um, I think that those are really important to think about when it comes to clients, right? Like not just setting boundaries with your colleagues or partners that you work with at your law firm, but also your clients in particular, because like what you were saying, Heather, you know, if, if you are automatically responding to your clients within, you know, five minutes of them getting that or of them sending that email, oh, you have set a precedent and they are going to expect very prompt emails from you going forward. So, you know, think about that. Think about, do I want to set kind of that um, expectation or kind of set that tone with a with my clients in terms of my availability and how I respond, um, to them. That, I think that's really important. There's autoresponders you can set up. I use boomerang on mine. And if I peek at emails on a weekend, which I try really hard not to, sometimes I do. Um, even though I've set a boundary for myself to not mm-hmm. <laughs> to check my, like my work email on the weekend, every now and then, like I see like some juicy, like,
0: okay, what is it he wants
1: me to do, right? Like, what is this new trademark he wants me to search? Um, I will set the email to go out on like Monday morning, right at 10 Uh a.m. So my client doesn't think I'm like sitting at my desk all weekend. Might've been fine as, you know, a new associate in a big law firm to be sending out emails at 1 a.m. And I felt like there was some badge of honor to that when I was a young associate. But as I've grown, I've learned kind of that there's not. And, you know, there's more of a badge of honor to being very protective of, of your, of your personal time, right? Like in your personal space. And that kind of aligns with setting boundaries around that.
0: Yeah. And I just want to make clear to people, like, look, you must set boundaries with clients. And the easiest way to do so is to do it up front, to tell them, you know, set expectations when they first hire you about what you will and will not do, when you are and are not available. And and if you, you know, depending on the type of law you practice, you may need to be available at times for emergency purposes. But you need to actually yeah. talk through what is an emergency and when do they need to reach out to you. So for my clients, emergencies, they could text or phone call me on my cell. but they needed to be true emergencies. And I did a really good job of making sure they understood what that was because I can count on one hand, the number of times it actually happened in 18 years of practice. Like yeah, it just yeah. didn't, like I was a finance attorney, all real emergencies didn't, always, didn't happen much. And yeah. typically if an emergency happened, it was in the middle of trying to close a really tough deal where something came up that was a complete surprise. We were trying to get it closed very quickly and they did need to talk it out with me, you know, something like that. But it, it, they just very rarely happened. And yeah. you've got to set those boundaries. And it, it, you're absolutely capable. Clients will still hire you with boundaries. They will. they will respect you. They are human beings too. They have and need boundaries. Most of them have families too. And even if they don't have families, they have a life. They want a life mm-hmm. of some sort, right? They have hobbies. They have, they have other things they do. They expect that you can too. And so show up as a real human being and set some boundaries. They will not... Yeah. fire you for it. Now, I don't, it's not the same thing to say, well, I never work. I only work nine to five, or I only, you know, I hear that a lot from people. Well, it's not like Heather, I can leave at five or five thirty every day to go work out. I'm like, well, that's not what I'm suggesting. Like right. it, 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 don't create straw man arguments here. Like boundaries, <laughs> that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about set, stepping back, thinking about your practice and what boundaries you need and what you will and will not tolerate, you know, what you are okay with and then setting the right boundaries and then in telling people and then enforcing them. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. So,
1: yeah, and, you know, <laughs> yeah another, you know, a couple of things along those lines that could be considered is do you want in your engagement agreement or your initial letter to kind of outline your boundaries right there? Uh-huh. Or you could also talk about it when you have your initial meeting with a client. Um, if they balk, then you really need to think about maybe I'm not a fit for this client, right? Mm-hmm. Like, And that's okay, right? Use something like that conversation to help you vet clients. Because as you work on business development and growing your own client base, you will get to the point where you can be more selective about who you work with. And it's just as important for you to be selective yes. about, about clients as they are about you. And so that conversation, you know, if you, if you do want to set boundaries, which, you know, of course, Heather and I strongly suggest that you do, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Um, You know, a conversation like that with your, with your prospective client could really help you vet people that might not be a fit for you. And that's okay. Right. There are there are plenty of clients for everyone. Yeah. There, are, there are, you know, great. There are attorney matches for those people. And if you see that, okay, maybe I had this conversation and maybe I'm not going to be like as responsive as they want, you know, send them a few referrals and tell them it was great meeting them and, you know, yep. great luck, great luck with their project.
0: And do not be afraid after somebody hires you and you decide, you know what, this isn't the best fit. To then yeah. fire a client. Like, and and I'm not saying leave them in the middle of something. You know, I had right. a very firm rule of who I would and would not work with. And if somebody hired me and I later, you know, halfway through the deal found out this just isn't gonna work long term, I'd finish that deal with them, but and I would that... not take on new matters for them. Right. right. And you know, I highly suggest that you not do that because We have enough stress and pressure as lawyers just from the nature of our practices and, and, you know, being a service-based industry and some of us, especially the types of practices we have, it's not worth it to take on clients that you just can't stand working for because that is going to so add to your stress levels and you would be surprised how having clear boundaries, including who you will and will not work for and enforcing those boundaries, can massively change your perspective on practicing law and your practice
1: 100 percent, and your mental health and you know i i kind of analogize it to dating in a way right it's been a long time since i've dated but <laughs> you know there were certain things that were kind of like red flags right uh-huh. whenever you know did he not treat his mother <laughs> like gold right if not red flag um you know, same thing with prospective clients. Like, think about having your own. Write it down, or have you know in your head. Like, what are those five red flags that you want to you know you want to watch out for? One thing I think is really important to find out from a prospective client is, okay, have you worked with a lawyer in the past, and how mm-hmm. did that relationship go? I think that's really important to know because if they start really bad mouthing their former lawyer, red flag. That's a red flag, right? Like, it might not be like a stop sign, but, it, it, you know, I would put that in the very red,
0: you know, that it's would be an cons- indication to ask more questions and figure right. out, you know, sometimes it is on the lawyer, but you got to ask more questions and figure out, okay, why, why was this a problem? What was why going was on this for a real? Problem. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, of course, once they're hired, if you're going 30, 60, 90 days, they've not paid
0: um, red flag. People are amazed with how many lawyers put up with non-payment for how long. Yeah. It's like, no, 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 no. no. And and that's another thing that I think most lawyers don't really embrace very well is I don't care whether you are on your own or with a big law firm. If you have your own practice and your own clients, you are running your own business to some extent, yeah. right? You need an entrepreneurial mindset. You need a business oriented mindset you need to collect like and and you need to collect regularly and not keep putting that off. Those that's an area for serious boundaries <laughs> around, yeah, yeah. you know, and 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 getting on them. And it doesn't always have to be you that follows up. You might have staff that help do that so that you don't have to be the bad guy. But yeah. you need to do it. This is something that comes up a lot in my coaching with my uh small firm solo practice because I do, yes. you know, big wall and down in um my business consulting and the and the mastermind where, you know, they do this great work. They have they have all this business coming in, but yet they're not collecting well. And it's like, no, no. Yeah. The business development doesn't count if you can't collect, you collect. It. because the business development feels <laughs> so
1: good, right? Especially when you get the so client, you start in a right. matter, but it's like, you know, 60, 90 days pass and you're not getting um paid. Right. that's a really good point too, because At that, you know, I I think that when you're asking, what am I unnecessarily tolerating? You probably will see that like, oh, I'm Mm -hmm. unnecessarily tolerating one of my clients being 60 days past due on their bills. Why? Right. And again, okay, how can we set some boundaries here? And, you know, maybe that means getting more aggressive in your collections.
0: And even um, I like that question a lot. But I do know a couple of lawyers who would not want to answer it that. Like, oh, what am I tolerating? I don't know. You know, I'm supposed to be putting up with this, or I'm, you know, that's part of service. And no, no, no. So then ask also, well, what's really frustrating me? What's really like, be able to identify. Oh yeah, I'm really frustrated because this client hasn't paid me in six months and I continue to do more and more work and they talk about how great my work is, but yet they haven't paid me. (laughs) Um, Or I'm getting a little resentful or I'm getting, you know, like use other words that help you identify where you need those boundaries. Yes. (laughs) So thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I think people are going to really enjoy this discussion. We covered so much.
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much, Heather, for having me and for giving me the opportunity to talk about all things well and a little bit of mental health and setting boundaries. Um, but people can subscribe to Legally Bliss Conversations anywhere you listen to podcasts or find me on Instagram. And it's just at Suzy Hickson, S-U-Z-I-H-I-X-O-N. And I'm trying to be really transparent in how I'm building out my community. So if you're curious, go follow me there.
0: Awesome. And I will put links to everything in the show notes so people can find you. Are you a shareholder, partner, or of counsel attorney trying to grow your business, but you're frustrated, probably a bit exhausted, and disappointed by your lack of biz dev return of investment? When it comes to growing and running a successful legal practice, there aren't any shortcuts, which, of course, you already knew, Right. Here's the problem. You're too busy to even enjoy the practice of law, much less devote time to proper business development. And although you want to grow your business and worry about the impact of a looming recession, you're not so keen on sacrificing every waking hour to do it. If this is you, then I want to introduce to you Elevate. It is my leadership and business development mastermind that is now open. I am taking applications for. And it is specifically for savvy lawyers ready for more. More clients, more originations, more income, more support, more impact, more recognition, more time, more balance, more of what you enjoy. If this sounds like something you would like, then I invite you to check it out at coursecorrectioncoaching.com forward slash business development mastermind. I will put a link to Elevate in the show notes so that you can check it out and apply now. Applications will only be open for a couple of weeks. So if this is something that you are interested in learning more about, I highly recommend you go there, you check it out, and you apply. Applications don't obligate you to anything, but it gives us a chance to speak, figure out if this really is something that you're interested in and whether you would be a good fit. Get your questions answered. And then at that point, you get to make the decision as to whether you join. All right, that is it for today. We will be talking again next week. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Life & Law Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode and aren't yet a follower or subscriber, be sure to hit the follow and or subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. For show notes and free resources to help you succeed in both Life & Law, including the Life & Law Roadmap, visit lifeandlawpodcast.com.